0: Life
1: Audio. Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friends, my partners in radio, Barnabas Piper and Ron Martin. Baby, you are on the road. I got some spectacular pictures from you last night. Mm. um it looked to me like you were in the manhattan of east central indiana our old stomping grounds have they stopped talking about us there in fort wayne yet i mean there there was a while where like we we ran that town you know we breezed into town into fort wayne and and it's like the city was ours you know what i well, mean Well, was- i mean
0: we uh we went downtown we uh yeah. we hit some of the uh the old familiar you know well, haunts yeah and yeah. it was it was literally it was it was hard to get it was hard to walk down the street i mean we well, couldn't get yeah. I couldn't get five or ten feet without getting stopped, yeah. and people wanted to talk about the reformatory. People well, just having old reformatory merchandise just yeah. on them Ticket I mean, signed.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: it's like, look, man, my hand is my hand is getting worn out here with all the signatures. It was tough. Yeah, it, was yeah, it like, is. It know.
1: is. Everybody wants to share their their favorite reformatory memories, and you know, I mean hear this. I enjoy doing it. You know, I'll, I'll do that all day long, but it, it does get tedious, you know? It, and I think
0: tedious. Yeah.
1: Yeah. People who aren't in the business, um, they don't realize what a hub Fort Wayne really is. Um, when you think about Christian media, Christian publishing, I mean, there's, there's kind of Wheaton, Colorado Springs, Fort Wayne, you know, Nashville, mm-hmm. they're all, they're mm-hmm. all kind of at the same level. So, uh, um, sure, yeah. so <laughs> For those who are who may be newer listeners or missed
2: an episode or twenty seven where you guys have talked about this previously, what is was, and forever shall be the reformatory
1: uh, that's a great question, pipe. Um, Ron, in, in a sentence or two, what was the reformatory?
0: Yeah, so the reformatory was a um, it was before podcasting kind of became like the thing that it is, and it was a it was a live radio broadcast like in a studio setting where me me and Big T riffed on kind of what we do here a little bit for about thirty to forty five minutes, but it was recorded live and then you would go you'd go back and be able to like watch the whole program so not mm. not too dissimilar to what we're doing, but a little clunkier and a little more old
1: school broadcasting you know because it was pre podcasting yeah i'll tell you what was fantastic about it though pipe is that Truly, like once a month or once every two months, we would we would travel down there and record a bunch of apps and they put us up in the Hyatt place. Um, So they spared no expense. Uh, We get we got rooms in the Hyatt place. We would have a little Zestos, by which I mean we never had Zestos. It was right by the hotel. And uh, we we would always walk over to that movie theater kind of in the same uh, suburban sprawl and uh, and taking a movie. It was a it was a magical time for us. Just youngsters, just kids in the media game at that point in our lives. But uh, yeah, very, very magical experience. And boys, it's a level of decadence that I would like to replicate uh, in the fall in Indianapolis. Are we ready to like drop some promos about our, our upcoming live event?
2: Well, we, I mean, we, we can have... definitely drop promos about it happening. Uh, I yeah. still have some work to do in terms of like, how and where and when to get tickets with our good yeah. friend, you know, working with our good friend, Josh Byers and, and working out special, special, you know, merch career. and whatnot. But yeah. it's
1: happening. It's, gen- yeah. it's
2: definitely happening.
1: And it's on the heels of or, or what what other evangelical conferences on the heels of our live show? It's it's always we always tandem with one of those those little deals. Which yeah. one is it? The Gospel Coalition will be riding our coattails per usual. Yeah, as usual, those guys just freeloaders, you know, I mean, they're great guys like. Um, I don't have anything against them, but still, you know, always, always riding our coattails boys. Um, speaking of the gospel coalition, we, uh, we're going to talk some books. We're going to talk some books by era and we're going to do all of that right after this quick break.
2: Hi everyone. If you've been injured in an accident, that was not your fault. Listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
1: All right, fellows, we're back. Um, Ronnie, are you still in Fort Wayne? Are you recording from the high place?
0: Maybe no. I actually moved on to uh, to less promising uh, horizons. I'm in yeah. Bloomington, Indiana.
1: Oh, so. Bloomington! Yeah, I know Bloomington. It's Nice. Uh, Spent nice. some time there. It is very nice. Uh, very nice college town, yeah. home of Indiana University. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great, great little spot. Uh, boys, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about books today. We're gonna talk about books that impacted us by era of our life. Um, We were going to do specific years, but it's, it's too much for men of our advanced ages to remember. So uh, we're going to do eras of life. I'm going to, I'm going to start us with an easy one though. Um, I'm going to start with this year. So as you think of calendar 2023, um, what's the book that's impacted you the most this year? Pipe, we'll start with you. Man,
2: the, uh, the newer ones are actually harder for me because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm more advanced in age this year than ever before in my life. So yeah. uh, give me, give me like 30 seconds to see <laughs> what is, what is stuck. There you um, go. Man, let's see. I can start if that would yeah, be Yeah. You go ahead with this one.
1: Yeah, I've got two. So I'm thinking of two, one Christian one and one secular one. So the, the Christian one is a book that every once in a while, um, the theological library at Union will do like a like a book sale because what happens is when all these like Southern kind of Christian people die, they donate their their book collections to Union, and you know it's unwieldy. Union can't use like every dead person's books, so um, they have a they have a book sale, and I picked up for like fifty cents a copy of A.W. Pink's Eternal Security. Uh, I think it was published in like, gosh, mid-century at some point. This this printing came out in the seventies, and uh, great little book. Like, I don't know, 120 pages. It was back before there were like two required lengths for Christian books. Like, your book could either be, you know, 212 pages or 160 pages. That's kind of the deal now. But yeah, back then it was like 110, 120 pages. This book was um, just chock full of of great. Scripture and encouragement and theology. The reason I picked it up was that one of my sons was having some questions about eternal security. And I ran across this book um, at this book sale. I grabbed it, read it, shared it with him. Uh, It was a great little uh, robust theological read, but encouraging. Um, So that was the secular one. Or that was the Christian one. The secular one. I got this book by a boxing promoter named Russell Peltz. Who operated in like the seventies, eighties, and nineties? So kind of like my um, my whole young life as a boxing fan. Russell Peltz was operating out of Philly, um, and he kind of started this little promotional business. They would they would show fights in the Blue Horizon, which is this old theater in Philly that he turned into a fight venue. Um, and he eventually became like the the promoter of note for ESPN's Friday Night Fights and all kinds of recognizable things. So uh, loved loved reading that one. Uh got me thinking about boxing again. I rebuilt the rebuilt the ring in a in a back building here on my property. So uh we're we're back in the fight game in the cluck household. So uh those those were the two from this year that have had a big impact. Have you thought of a couple, Pipe?
2: Yeah, I have. And I also thought about why it's been such a dog of a year for books for me. Mm-hmm. Um because uh I'm in seminary, which means the vast majority of my reading is stuff that's been given to me. Oh yeah, requirements. Which is not to say they're bad books. You just read them really differently when you're trying to get assignments done than when you're absorbing. And so most of the books that I've read have either been like junk fiction because I'm just trying to sort of it's sort of like it's like Netflix for you know that kind of thing, or or have been like focused on a class. But I'm uh, I'm about three quarters of the way through it now. I'm rereading Orthodoxy by uh GK Chesterton and I'm yeah. not doing that for a class just for my own mm. my own enjoyment and I haven't read it in probably 10 years and I'm I'm reminded why I loved it so much the first time and it uh it's one of those books that makes it makes me remember why being a Christian is awesome mm. um I I don't tend to love doctrinal books you know they're mm. very helpful in sort of a like This is, you know, this helps fill out an argument and whatever orthodoxy makes me remember why there's a, there's a sort of thrill to being a Christian because of the way Chesterton approaches it and the way Christianity makes sense of the world. And he views everything through the perspective of, um, imagination and wonder much more so than doctrinal precision. Yeah. And, and I find it really compelling and he's, you know, he's not, he's not theological he just that's not his that's not his game and yeah. so i that's one that i'm reading right now and it's just it's been refreshing especially on the heels of more academic reading to read something that's uh that just sort of it it is it is intellectually rigorous yeah. but it's imaginatively stimulating and 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 wonderful um and then on the just the more fun side i finally finished a book called the baseball 100 or a couple months ago by Joe Poznanski and uh it it probably has moved into the top 2 or 3 best baseball books I've ever read just wow. uh Poznanski's writing is brilliant it's him ranking his top 100 players ever but sort of using it as a storytelling history of baseball yeah you know a chance for to just be a fan as well as a as a great writer one of yeah. the most enjoyable baseball books I've read which I, it's been several years since I read one that really grabbed me, so it was fun to it was fun to to uh, get a hold of that one and finish it finally.
1: That's high praise because arguably baseball has produced the best writing of any sport. It um, has, but in recent years, it's just gotten really nerdy. You know, yeah, that's true. The analytics nerds have kind of taken it over,
2: not unlike theology in that way. You yeah, know, once yeah. once upon a time, people wrote books that sort of swept you up, and then they've gotten, right. you know unaccessibly nerdy and baseball yes. has done the same thing so good good to have posnanski back uh sucking us into the joy of the game Dude,
1: that's that's fascinating and and yet in both cases like we should probably get romantic about both things from time to time like at least a few times a year um I don't know. You you watch baseball for the romance of it, right? Like to go to the ballpark and experience all the sensory things and appreciate how hard it is to hit a fastball or a a off speed pitch or whatever. And yeah, the more we can get romantic about it, like the probably the more enjoyable it is. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, you don't you don't sort of glean enjoyment in your heart from like I don't know making spreadsheets about. OPS or whatever, but, uh, (laughs) but yeah, no, that's cool. And it's interesting to me that like the theological nerd community from time to time, they will like widen the net and, and accept one of these, um, you know, kind of non-nerd books, and yeah, they they all accept Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton, even though it's not exactly like their their cup of tea. Which and he was
2: a Catholic, like when if if a Catholic today wrote a book that was rich and wonderful, how long would he have to be dead before we decided it was a good book?
1: That's a great question. I mean, I'm thinking decades at least. Yeah. Um. Or or what would he? What would yeah, this is an interesting thought experiment, and we can get big R on this. Like what? what kind of Catholic would he have to be for like the theological nerd community to, to sort of welcome that book in? Um, gosh. Yeah. Big R thoughts on that or thoughts on book from this year.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. I'd love to riff on that question. Um, yeah. cause that, that is fascinating. The things that we allow like sort of like into the circle, yeah, where we we never would if they were alive. It's just even C.S. Lewis, right? It's just fascinating to me. Yeah, um, but yeah, a couple of books this year. So I got a little downtime this summer, and I want to uh, man. I'm just I want to read about heaven and beauty because those kinds of things are have been just really devoid in my life. So so mm. two books so far, uh, enjoying God and everything. This little book by a guy named Steve Dewitt, and it was just unbelievably great writing, super encouraging. Talking about the beauty of God, and um, it just really filled my soul. And then uh, a book called a newer book called Bright Hope for Tomorrow, and a guy named Chris Davis, kind of his take on his take on how we should be looking at you know the return of Christ and getting you know keeping out of all the the crazy eschatology part and actually looking at how Scripture really addresses it, you know, in the majority sense, which is yeah. just hope for um, you know reuniting with Christ and why this is going to be good and, and how we can look for, how we should look forward to it. So I've been mm-hmm. loving that. And then I got some, um, I just read the Keller bio from Colin Hanson, which was really good. And um, I'm looking forward to reading the, the new Rick Rubin memoir. I got that as well. Up oh, So just kind fun. of stuff like that. Yeah. And that one's going to be really fun. So books on creativity, beauty, um, Christ's return. I just stuff that I'm just, I, I feel like a void in right now and I want to get my yeah. heart, kind of circulating back in those those topics and areas for me. So that those two though, Enjoying God and everything and Bright Hope for Tomorrow, just been super um super good.
1: So dude, I didn't realize Rick Rubin had a had a memoir up. That's uh, it's, that uh, fire.
0: it's sort of it's it's a memoir-ish, you know people do that now where yeah. it's not like it it's 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 not really a memoir. That's a that's not mm-hmm. a, really a great way to describe it, but it's really his it's his thoughts on the creative process. And how he has how he's articulated it, because when it comes to like a music producer, he's just an oddball. He's not like your typical guy. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, all these guys are right. But he's even more extreme. So he comes from more of like the punk, you know, the punk era and then kind of moved into hip hop as a punk dude. Which means all the formality of like, you know, what you think about when you think of old school producers, like he doesn't apply any of that. He he doesn't know how to play an instrument. Right. Wow. And um so it's more it really is sort of this like stream of consciousness how do we serve the song you know how do we think through this how do mm-hmm. we sort of like reverse the old school approaches to like creating things and yeah. you know i mean his his work kind of proves his his methods right so
1: yeah i think somebody like that in and, and what's fascinating to be about about a creative person like that yeah even if they don't play the music they always seem to be a move or two ahead in terms of knowing what people are going to want, um, yeah, 100%. knowing what people are going to want, how to deliver it, like who to make a star out of, you know what I mean? Like that, that process to me is fascinating. Like that person could walk into the room and, and sort of identify who the most interesting or star worthy people are going to be. And, and I think that's fascinating. Um, yeah, good stuff. Uh, All right. Let's do another era. Let's do. I don't know. Should we do childhood? Just kind of go like a, a big swing in the other direction. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Let's do like early childhood. Most important or like formative books for you in early childhood. Um, Pipe, we'll start with you.
2: Uh, yeah. So I for me. Early childhood, my my memories of books then mostly revolve around like my mom reading to me and maybe my brothers. Um, so I mean I did a lot of reading on my own. I read a ton of Hardy Boys and mm-hmm. you know, uh just those kinds of books. But the ones that stand out to me most are, you know, we had a house of, of four boys, and so laundry day was like a whole day because it was yeah. just mountains of disgusting clothing my mom would wash. And then it was our job, uh, the boys' job, to fold the laundry, and we didn't have a TV, uh, so my mom would read to us while we did that. So, wow, the ones that stand out to me are she would read these books. I think it was called the Dragon King Trilogy by Stephen uh-huh. Lawhead, uh-huh. and so kind of Christian perspective fantasy fiction. So he he's a Christian author, but he doesn't write sort of schlocky Christian mm-hmm. fiction. And these are the books where I learned what it meant to be like drawn and quartered um mm-hmm. as like a 6-year-old which is awesome. Uh I remember how you know I learned how to remove a barbed arrow from a thigh. Uh <laughs> not how to get the poison out because it was a poison barbed arrow. Yeah. And and it just it it created for me or or was really formative in my love of uh of just really gripping fun stories and sort of otherworldly fiction because then i graduated from that to when i was middle school reading uh like the hobbit and lord of the rings Mm. which were probably the most formative fiction i read uh,
1: between the ages of you know like 12 and now dude that is that is completely fascinating on a couple of levels yeah i always i always forget that you guys didn't have a tv so just this like this visual of your mom reading to you aloud while while the four of you are folding laundry is that's wild that's something um so that that to me is really interesting but i I have a boy's laundry thing for you too, just by way of a quick digression um I feel like both of my boys did this, and we're in it now with maxim like he does relatively so little right like he's a he's a sophomore in high school he's not like. I don't know, running his own company or, or he's, he's not like doing a ton, but he goes through more wardrobe in a week. Like when we do laundry for him, it's like four loads. And for me, I feel like I wear like four things total in the entire week. My laundry takes an hour, you know, and his takes like a day and a half. And I just, I wondered if you guys were like that um, as kids, like were you doing a lot of wardrobe changes in one day and was your laundry unwieldy?
2: Um, I mean, during the summer, it probably, it probably was just because we stank so bad, you know, yeah. you get sweaty yeah. and you go change. In fact, my mom would probably be like, you need to go change before we do anything else. Cause you smell like socks. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was like that. Plus we all played sports. Now yeah. the age span was such that usually it was only like three out of the four were aggressively in the laundry situation at any given time. But uh, yeah, I mean, when you've got sports and just stinky boys and, you know, so you're moving from like you wake up wearing pajamas and then you put on school clothes and then you go to practice and then you put on, you know, whatever wears after practice, like you're talking three, four things a day that you're wearing. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it it was
1: it was aggressive. It was a lot of clothes. Yeah, that's wild, dude. It is. uh, It is a lot to do now. I've got a TV question, too. Um, and then I'll, I'll bring in big R on this one. So you grew up by and large without a TV. What was the one thing pipe that you sort of really felt at a deep level that you were missing? Like one thing that you were sort of upset to miss in the moment due to not having a TV in your house. Sports. Sure. I, I,
2: yeah. I, I don't have, I don't have many memories of feeling like I was missing out on conversations about Mm -hmm. whatever tv show and you know this was the era where there was whatever four channels you know cbs nbc uh abc and and maybe fox yeah um and uh and so i didn't i didn't feel most of the time like i was missing out on people talking about the latest episode of whatever yeah what i did miss though was like i just wanted to turn on a twins game in the evening or Yeah. yeah like it was so cool we would go to when we went to my grandparents house now they lived in georgia I watched more Braves games than I did twins games growing up because sure. they had a TV. And so, you know, after dinner, you know, you get you get showered up and whatever after being sweaty outside all day and turn on the Braves game. So, you know, watching David Justice and and uh, Fred McGriff and, and the, you know, Smoltz and Glavin and Maddox and all yeah. these guys. I wish I could have done that at home. That was those were the things I missed Vikings games sure. on Sundays. I listened yep. to a ton of sports, have uh-huh. so many memories ingrained in me of like the, the radio announcers
1: but yes. uh but yeah that that was the stuff that I felt like I missed out on dude, that's fascinating, in that you're almost like a child of the fifties in terms of <laughs> like you get you get romantic about listening to your team on the radio, which is something that like our our dads and our grandpas got romantic oh, about, absolutely fascinating, yeah, big art now you grew up kind of also weirdo evangelical um, what was your relationship <laughs> with with television like were your were your parents sort of TV is the enemy, or were, did you have a cozier relationship with television?
0: I mean, it was, and we had TV, so it was a little sure. cozier. But sure. Um, sure. they were, they fell into, it, it, it sounds almost like I'm making this stuff up. Yeah. But they were like, they fell lock, stock, and barrel into sort of that 70s, 80s, focus on the family, like to where yep. for some reason, like some TV was okay. But then there are just these minor, basic weirdo reasons like why we couldn't watch the Smurfs. And (laughs) like I'm not kidding. No, I know. This is a real thing. That that was witchcraft.
2: You couldn't watch it because of witchcraft. Yeah, that's true. So
0: witchcraft and anything that had sexual connotations were wrong, but like violence Mm -hmm. of any kind was totally
2: fine. Sexual connotations like 80 male Smurfs and one female? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. No, that wouldn't have been a concern for them, Pipe. Yeah, that would not have
0: been a concern for them. But um, so there were so many contradictions with like how yeah. they said you can watch that, but you can't watch that. And of course, like, you know, when you wake up three hours before your parents do on a Saturday, none of it matters. Anyway, you just watch what you want. Yeah. And um, so that was kind of the weirdo relationship with that. But it was, mm-hmm. I mean, it was so bad. You guys that like, at one point, like my teenage sister ran away from home because, wow. and, and she cited this reason in her letter, in her like <laughs> goodbye letter. They yeah. said, she said, because you won't let me watch H.R. Puffin stuff, which was just like this oh. kind of puppet Marty Croft like these shows they had <laughs> in the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. And she literally said that in the letter. Like, oh, I man. can't believe this. Yeah,
1: That's, and, so, um, that's so funny. Yeah.
0: Oh. It's so funny, and it's just it was so part of that it yeah. was so part of that culture though. So it for really some, was, like dude, yes. there wasn't a way yeah. to, there was no, there was no good differentiation or making good distinctions on why you shouldn't watch this, and why you should watch this. So what they would get is they would get this media guide from uh-huh. like focus on the family. And it would like, yep. it would sort of, it would rate and it would grade all the shows. And it would basically <laughs> say like, this is okay. And this isn't okay. And they yeah. would just literally without, I would say without giving it a lot of critical thought, um, <laughs> They would just say, well, because focus on family said you can't watch the Smurfs yes. uh, because Gargamel is like a wizard. Like you just don't yes. get to watch the Smurfs
2: Oh, the um, you know, so power a- of James Dobson. Yes.
0: Yes. yes. And so it's like, so it's so funny because like when you're a kid, so if you're eight years old, like you're not like, I don't know. I'm not asking big existential questions on why right. I just go. Oh, OK. So right. we're allowed to watch like Super Friends, which yeah. seemed way more controversial at the end of the day. But we're not allowed to watch Smurfs. Okay, got it.
1: Dude, that's fascinating. I'm going to take a break, and then on the other side of the break, I've got two laser-specific questions about uh, what you were just talking about. We'll be right back. All right, boys, we're back. Here's my two questions, and either of you can, can chime in on this. Question number one is, were the 80s... Apex Mountain for just sort of blindly making law. I, I'm thinking of, like, you know, Bill Gothard, who's like, you've you've got to tuck in your shirt. And if you don't, you're a certain kind of, like, shifty-eyed evil person, probably. And then you had Dobson, like, putting out the the guide on which shows were, like, erotic and which shows you could watch and which shows you couldn't. And it's, it's amazing to me. We seem to do, like, just a the the most brisk of businesses in this in the eighties. So we're the eighties Apex Mountain for a certain kind of lawmaking. And then my second question for both of you, either of you, what was the like least erotic like childhood television thing that your parents imbued with like erotic significance and made it off limits? Um if you if you have any thoughts on either thing.
2: Man, I feel I feel like the eighties were were peak not the most refined which actually made them peak because it was just out of control because it's also when the religious right kind of came to influence and so you Mm. had thoughtless conservatism attaching religious moral values to arbitrary things just all over the place you've got it in television and movies and politics and literature you know Mm and it and it it then raised up this generation of people who like would just automatically say Harry Potter was evil because there's there's magic in it and you know just utter thoughtlessness yeah. so the 80s was the uh it was like the petri dish out of which out of which all this stuff grew and i think it really came to fruition in the 90s mm. because the 90s were like every evangelical family said the simpsons are evil yeah. They never watched the Simpsons. They had no idea what was in it, but but Bart Simpson was disrespectful, ergo evil. And yeah. uh that sort of seemed like pinnacle ridiculous judgment to me.
1: Yeah. No, that's fascinating. And I remember thinking in the 90s. So by the 90s I was in like high school and college. And you know, having just come out of like the 80s where we're sort of arbitrarily saying that this right, like the Simpsons is evil. Um, I don't know, Gargamel's evil or whatever, but all these other things are okay. And I just remember watching like television in the nineties going every nineties TV kid is disrespectful. You know, they're all, (laughs) they're all very disrespectful. And it's like, why is Bart Simpson more disrespectful? I don't know. I, I I remember like, it's an unspeakably stupid thing to like grapple with, but I remember grappling with that going, there seems to be some inconsistencies here. Um Big R thoughts on either of those questions.
0: Yeah, I think to both of you guys' points, like this is what I remember, man. I remember this was like the era where like the word slippery slope kind of like came into like oh, yeah. the consciousness of every of every like evangelical parent. Yep. And so that my parents, that's all they would say is that the problem is, Ronnie, this is a slippery slope. <laughs> like the problem. Is, <laughs> The, pro- the problem with Dungeons and Dragons is yeah. that it leads to this and it leads to this and it leads to this. And then not only that, but like, like Christian and even non-Christian media, like they would sort of sensationalize these things. So yeah. you would see like they would have movies on Dungeons and Dragons where like the one guy that like used to like cast the spells in like phase 17 of the game, like he yeah. ended up like becoming like a full on like, you know, devout, you know, like Church of Satan, you know, member and yeah. and like and it was always it's like well see that's that's where those things start ronnie like mm-hmm. it's a slippery slope if you start yeah. there you're going to end up there and you know it's like there are slippery slopes obviously sure. like to get to a place you have to start at a place um yeah. but again it was like there was just such a lack of i think discernment in all of it saying well yeah. all right like everything doesn't lead to the worst possible outcome right i mean yeah like you can say that about like you could say that about anything, but like they didn't, they didn't apply it to so many other issues in our life that they probably right. should have spent more time in applying it to. It was yeah. always like fringy things like witchcraft. Yeah. <laughs> you just go like, I man, I just don't see myself becoming a wizard guys. I don't see it happening. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, yeah. I, rem- I remember <laughs> that. I remember those conversations very well of like, yeah, I don't see myself becoming a wizard. Like this isn't, it's not like a, a big area of temptation for me. And, and, even with like certain kinds of secular music, like enjo- enjoying the music. But like that was the big one, too. That was yeah. the
0: massive one. Yeah. yeah. yeah but yeah.
1: like no part of me is, is going to embrace the lifestyle, you know? Yeah. Um, right. But, I, all but, of a sudden
0: now I'm not like, you know, because I listen to a Led Zeppelin song, like I don't just find myself on tour, you know, yeah. trashing hotel rooms sleeping yeah. with, like, 40 women, you know, like... Doing mountains of cocaine. Know. Yeah. <laughs> it just didn't automatically lead to that lifestyle. Recording
1: enough. my next record in a haunted castle, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just not happening, you know? But, yeah, that was that was very much the argument back then. And it, the argument was applied in a very, like, machine-gun fashion, you know? And it, it occurs to me, in the self-same way that, like, we... Our generation, we're we're probably all products of like, I don't know the the internet provided media that we that we consume today. In some ways, like our, our parents were really across the board pretty heavily influenced by like two or three media outlets, you know, or pieces of media or like sources of media, and and it's 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 really where they built their like their worldview and their parenting worldview. I I have another kind of conceptual question on this. So given given that that was the climate in the 80s and 90s and you guys described it really well, do you think in like the early 2000s as like that generation became adults? So like in our young adulthood, do you think we all kind of like market corrected a little too hard into license? You know what I mean? So you're coming out of this like 80s, super legalistic kind of machine gun, unthoughtful approach to law. Do you think in the early two thousands we all kind of we all kind of market corrected too hard into license? I think,
0: think, yeah, I think some did. You know, I I think for sure. You know, like there was, but that's sort of like adolescent rebellion that kind of continued for people into their twenties or thirties. You know, to where like they threw out the baby with the bathwater. But I think the problem was, I think the problem with it all on a more like grand scale. And I'd like to hear what Pipe Mm -hmm. has to say about this. Is like. What I think were parents like from that generation failed to do was like, teach us any kind of discernment. They just yeah. did not teach discernment. It was yeah. like, everything was so everything was basic and everything was black and white. Yeah. And again, that that can lead us down. I mean, this can go into like 28 sub conversations, sure. but there was no sense of like, Hey, um, you can partake of some of these things, but you also have to have discernment. You also have to understand what limitations means. You also have to guard your mind. Like you yeah. have to do like these good things that you would do as somebody who still is, if you are a Christian, like somebody yeah. who is trying trying to live a life that pleases the Lord. But yeah. um, but to throw everything out with everything is not a way that we are able to instruct our kids towards developing any type of discernment. I think that was the That's big right. mistake with it. One, I, I should yeah. say, one of the big mistakes. With it.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. You know, and there were there would have been really good conversations to be had there. You know, as we even think back on like. 80s 90s television that that like most of us were consuming or our peers were or whatever like there would have been really good conversations on a of a spiritual nature to have their pipe thoughts on yeah and i think yeah and to that
0: i think no no it's good i i think what i hear now so on that Mm -hmm. um it's i have friends now that this is how they this is how they've corrected that in that instead just throwing everything out i they do have those conversations so let's talk mm-hmm. about the show let's talk about the content that you're consuming let's talk about what's good about it let's talk about the things we need to throw out or or would
2: that we need to
0: ask better questions to you know yeah. again be more discerning so i i see that happening now in a way that i and i'm sure it happened back in my era it's just a lot of us who had more you know we kind of grew up in more of that reactionary evangelical culture mm-hmm. we we just weren't having those conversations it was so fear-based that it was like no 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 just stay away from it throw it out yeah. completely and now i think in in the bet in the ways where you see it lived out in a better way like you just said t like there's actually this thing called conversation which can just lead to you know just mm-hmm. a better discernment greater knowledge and just the ability to um differentiate you know and yeah. so i don't know i so I, I see some i think i see some progress in that yeah
2: i think so pipe yeah, I, I feel like uh, my, parents, my parents were, we'll call them cutting edge on this in the sense that they, they weren't doing what Ronnie just described in terms of like, let's engage this together and have a conversation, but they rarely ruled out stuff on an arbitrary standard. I mean, if you can imagine John Piper not being arbitrary, I know that's a stretch, but uh, I, just, I, I remember uh, when I was in high school, I asked to go to a movie with some friends and they were like, what movie? i don't know some sci-fi thriller something or other maybe based on a stephen king book or something and uh and i think it was rated r and and my dad goes why do you want to see that Mm. and that was and he didn't say no you know there was a there was a heavy amount of like pack your bags for this guilt trip which was a very ineffective (laughs) method on me because i I didn't have a conscience but uh but i i recall that and then i remember like being at the library when i was 8 or 9 and wanting to check out some of the goosebumps books yeah. and my mom being like what do you get out of those why do you enjoy those and so at some level they were kind of teaching me to think yeah with discernment not not with a real fine point but at least just go what do you get out of this what's the benefit yeah. here so yeah. i'm i was thankful for that because you know they removed certain temptations because when there's no there's no TV in the house. There's a lot fewer battles to fight, mm-hmm. but they also sort of kickstarted that that being open-handed and discerning thing. Mm-hmm. I definitely think there was an there was a, an overcorrection to the the conservatism Yeah, in the same way that every generation pendulum swings against what they didn't like in their parents' generation, especially against the unreasonable stuff you know yeah. so a super strict generation is going to have a bunch of kids who are like i'm never doing that the the way my parents did yeah and so they just hand their kids everything and you know you're kind of seeing it we're starting to see it with uh with generation 2 of of smartphones you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. iphone came out in what 2009 7 something yeah, like that something like that and uh and so there's been there's been this whole generation 15 years of kids who had access to these. And now you're starting to see that this pendulum swing where people go, maybe it's a bad idea to give smartphones to nine-year-olds or 12-year-olds.
1: Yeah. And we should
2: push that back. And there's, there's articles saying we should remove smartphones from all schools. Like that's Mm -hmm. just, it's a distraction. Mm -hmm. And so there's always these corrections where you go from no discernment to too much discernment to hopefully appropriate discernment. The problem is that two generations get hurt in the process. Because there's watching yeah. too little and then just right. It's that's like, like the Goldilocks effect on discernment.
1: Sure, and it, and if we look at history, we could probably point to things, you know, every you know thirty years or so that are that are like that. Um, you know, even in in previous generations. Um, yeah, yeah, it was like, you know, the early two thousands gave us obviously the emergent church, where it was like. Hey, all of a sudden we don't have any standards, you know, anything goes. And even even in like solid theological churches, like young men's groups, you would walk into them in the early 2000s. And it was like walking into a speakeasy in the 40s. It's like there's more bourbon and smoke and like card playing. And I'm like, man, this is, you know, freedom yeah, in like, Christ. And you like, know? Fight,
2: like Fight Club became like a ministry strategy. Oh, yeah. It's no wild, more along dude. the way.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's so wild. It's such it, a it, stupid
2: like, movie, by the way.
1: Oh, it's terrible. Hey, let's do this. Um, I need to get a third ad break in because I'm committed to that now. Um, let's get a third ad break in and th- let's wrap the show on like thoughts on the movie Fight Club because it was, uh, it was an influential book and movie in the early 2000s, and I also think it's stupid. So let's take a break. All right, we're back. Pipe, I was, I was encouraged to hear you say how stupid you think Fight Club is. And I think it's unspeakably stupid. But I thought it was very cool in the early 2000s. And I'm ashamed of that take. Um, why was it so cool? But why is it so stupid? Start, start there and then we'll get Ron's thoughts on it.
2: I don't know why. I, I mean, it was so cool, I think, because of the vibe. The, mm-hmm. It was unique in, it, in its time mm-hmm. and the actors. Mm-hmm. But, but it, it felt... It felt like a cross between uh pulp fiction which I hated dead yes. poet society which I came to hate and um I don't know like the matrix or something yeah. where there's just sort of like it, it's all aesthetic all vibe all faux depth all faux mm-hmm. philosophy yes And Dude, and it, you come away from it and you're like I just I feel gross like I got done watching the movie and I remember I was watching it and I was I was the perfect generational sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. And I came away and I was like, that sucked. <laughs> that <laughs> that, movie, that. <laughs> yes. Our movie was so dumb. And I, you know, yeah. and I was with a bunch of guys who were like, this was amazing. And like, it became a buzzword. And like the yeah. first rule of fight club is you don't talk about fight club and all this stuff. Right. And I'm like, I took away nothing from that movie of, of note or of substance or of philosophy or of anything. I was just like, I, I never need to encounter that again.
1: Yes. Yeah. And and yet it was such a such like a touch point for guys of a certain age. And um yeah, all of those movies that you just mentioned, I hate all of them. And I think for all of the reasons you just mentioned, and yet those were those were sort of the seminal late nineties, early two thousands. That was the roster of movies that if you were a certain kind of dude you were you were watching 'em. Big R, any fight club thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean I was uh, I was obviously way past the era of like that having an impact. I was too old for that yeah. movie to have like any sort of like cultural impact on me. But it was just, yeah, I remember seeing it. I did see it when it came out, which was not like, that wouldn't have been quote my kind of movie. But mm-hmm. um, but I saw, I think I saw it with a group of dudes. I think I was on tour when I saw it. And I saw it with a group mm-hmm. of dudes. And yeah, like Pipe said, the reaction was like greatest movie I've ever seen. It's like, yeah, you mm-hmm. said that about Wayne's World last week too. So again, yeah, you're, you're with these dudes that like, you know, don't mm-hmm. don't have the standards, right? But yeah, I just, I remember thinking like, this is just, this is empowering men in, in just the weirdest way. It's like bringing out everything that like, it, it's bringing out a bunch of like repressed aggression in men in a way that makes it feel like it's okay. And, um, and I, and I don't know. I, it just, I mean, it obviously it did, didn't land. It, it landed on me in the way that Pipe talked yeah. about, which is what I thought was like, I hate when men get overly aggressive like that. I just think that I, I hate chest bumping. I think it's ridiculous. I just hate that culture. So for me, it was See, just I'm it was actually.
1: Very um, I'm all for that culture, and that wasn't that wasn't the part that bothered me. But but where it got where it got really stupid for me was when they started like blowing up buildings and stuff, like based on their 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 economic <laughs> views or whatever. I'm like. Like the actually the the meeting up in basements and fighting because our lives are boring like that that part of it resonated like I'm like yeah I'm a, I'm a, you know I'm all good on that but uh, yeah we're making soap we're blowing up buildings I don't know it, it it they were living in that squalor remember that remember the like the the like abandoned house that they were living in it was uh-huh. just filthy I had trouble looking at that I'm like you could live any number of places you're choosing to live here you know like it, it just uh, yeah it was gross to look at. But but yeah, no, just a a really stupid movie. Well, Um, And
2: and I will just say this also, just from a movie-making standpoint, the like gotcha plot twist at the end felt very M. Night Shyamalan. And Mm -hmm. uh, I realized that I might be stepping on toes because there's a deep and abiding abiding affection for (laughs) M. Night between the two of you. But but frankly, his movies are pretty terrible and have been Mm -hmm. for a long time. And uh, it just... I don't disagree. It just felt like... I was like, this, nothing about this matters. It is, it is a, it's all plot devices and like sophomoric philosophy. Yeah.
1: yeah. And it, and if you spend any time with the book, the book was even worse. Like the book was truly terrible. Oh, good. Yeah. And, the, and I remember, I remember watching the movie and kind of thinking the same things but then i got the book and i was like oh the bu- the book has to be better and the book the book was actually way worse and um yeah it it that was kind of when like nihilism and nothing mattering was sort of was sort of trendy so i think those things being trendy attaching edward norton and brad pitt to it like it just became like this uh runaway freight train of early 2000s faux depth Um, Yeah, it, it felt like, it, it felt like leftover
2: Gen X angst Yeah, that it, you know, it might've, it might've worked better as like an underground film in 1996. Yeah. But when, I mean, when did that come out? It would have been early 2000s, 2003, 2000s, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. 2001, 2003, like that, it was, it was a, it was a uh, blockbuster film.
1: That should have been an art house film. Oh, I agree. Yeah. No, that's a good take. That's a really good take. Whoop. Sorry, man. Getting a call. Um, yeah, Pipe, we should probably close this. Are we going to try to do a Patreon today? Uh, sure. We can knock one out. Yeah, I got a heart out at nine. So uh, let's, let's say this let's say that we have done what we always do. And by that, I mean truly we have, and that Ronald left early. Uh, he lost his connection, um, which I which think listeners
2: was- could probably tell was going by the quality of the audio
1: yeah very much so that's the the, those are the pitfalls of traveling all the time pipe i mean you're you're something has to give and uh with ronald it's usually the last 20 minutes of the program and we will wait no until next time is how i close this one right yeah and until next time
2: We want to take a moment to thank the team at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. There's nothing in this world that He cannot do if we truly allow His love.
0: We can do nothing without Him. Anything that we do apart from Him is not something that's permanent.
2: We need is grace. That's everybody. We are all broken people. Yes. On our way to a place that we believe is, is waiting on us in heaven. You can find more of Bridges with Monica Schmelter at lifeaudio.com. In Christ, we are all one
0: family. Amen.